Well, my wife uh, came to the earlier service and says hello, and you guys were gracious. You gave her better flowers than I gave her, which is not so good, but uh, no, it was really wonderful. It's great to be with you, and you'll notice the title of that book is The Genius of Generosity, and we're going to talk about not oughts or shoulds or obligations or getting with the program. We're going to talk about how smart, how genius it is to be generous, and this message is why it's genius to be generous, and I didn't grow up as a Christian. Um, I grew up in a a pretty moral home. My parents were school teachers. And if someone said generosity, what's it mean to be extravagantly generous? I thought it was for two groups. Group number one was like super, super rich people. They should be very generous because they have millions of dollars. And I wasn't super rich, so I thought, well, that's not me. The other was like super holy people. I mean, like Mother Teresa didn't have much, but she was super generous. Or if you know anything about the Billy Graham Association, it is amazing what they've done for people all over the world. So I thought, well, I'm not that holy and I'm not that rich. But someday, if my ship comes in, I was very, uh, I played basketball and baseball in college. And I thought, you know, if I ever make it to the major leagues as a little shortstop and I get millions of dollars, then I'll be generous. I didn't have a lot of hopes of ever getting holy enough to be generous. But then I met John Saville, and John Saville taught me the biggest lesson of my life, that generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have, and generosity isn't for some elite spiritual state that you reach someday, some way. I was a uh, young pastor. I uh, went to school to be a basketball coach and went to grad school and then played ball around the world a couple, three years, and then uh, found myself in school and seminary, a couple kids, and so my very first church, and you've heard of mega churches, well, this was a mini church. The town was 3,000, didn't have a stoplight, didn't even have a fast food place, and then outside of this mini metropolitan area, about 15 miles outside was a little white building, and that was the church. And we had 34 or 35 people. Uh, In about three months, I learned 33 of them were related to one another, which made it very interesting. (laughs) And uh, the the chairman of the elder board was a guy named John Saville. Now, you got to understand, I'm 28, and I want to be cool, and I want to be hip, and he's like mid-70s. He had, uh, his complexion was, uh, unfortunately, he had cancer that had to be burned off, and so he had pockmarks all over his face. Uh, He was an accountant, was good with money. I was never good with money. Uh, I was into sports, and I don't think he could tell you a team in Dallas. We had zero in common, except, you know, as the chairman of the elders, you know, I went to a meeting once a month, and he kind of was my boss. And so uh, after a year there in this mini church in this rural town, completely different than anything growing up, John gives me a call and says, I want you to come down, have lunch with me. I want to talk about something special. And he said, where we're going to go, you have to have a sport coat. So I had one sport coat. And he said, and a tie. And I thought, oh, my lands, you know. So we have a non-air-conditioned car in Dallas, Texas, 95 degrees, a sport coat and a tie. I drive down there. I'm soaking wet from sweat by the time I get there. There's a building that must be 40, 50, 60 stories high. It's all glass. I go up to, like, the 44th floor. Elevator opens. It says Savile Dodge. And he owned the CPA company. I walk out. Big wood receptionist behind it. Mr. Savile will be with you in a minute. He comes out. Hey, Chip, how you doing? And 
And you've got to know something about this guy. He was very, very uncool. He came to Christ late, so he didn't care what anyone thought. He went broke a couple times and then got really rich a third time. And every weekend, once a month minimum, sometimes two weekends a month, he went into prisons all over America, maximum security, and shared Christ. He was very shy, but he had this amazing love for God. But it just, oh my, he would do things like you would be in a group, like even in this restaurant, and he would hear something really good, and he would lean back and go, praise the Lord. And I just wanted to like crawl under the table like, John, I don't know where you're coming from, but that is, this is not the way to reach people. This is not cool at all. And I was embarrassed. So we get in this elevator, and we go all the way to the top, and we go all the way to the top, and the elevator opens, and everything is glass, and you can see the entire city of Dallas. We sit down. They bring the menus. And this is my first experience as an adult where a menu is where there's no numbers. When there's no numbers, it's a fancy place. There are three different waiters, one here, one here, one here, and, you know, try the filet or the lobster. So we had this amazing meal, and John kind of talks, and I'd been the pastor for about a year. He said, Chip, um, you'll notice in your notes, John had a desire, I had an opportunity, and we made a deal. Here was John's desire. John had been through very, very hard times, and he had this deep compassion for poor and hurting people of all backgrounds. And where we lived in this small town was very multi-ethnic and very poor. We were in the, like the bottom 5% educationally of the state of Texas when Texas was like 48 out of 50. So it was not good. And John really cared about these people. And my opportunity was, I was this new pastor, you know, I'm young, and I got to know, you know, the teachers and you know, the white kids and the Hispanic kids and the black kids, and we found this old gym, and we had of these people, and he said, you have all this opportunity to help people. I have some money. You have some opportunity. He says, I want to make a secret pack with you. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he pulls out this white box, and he puts it in the middle of the table, says, open it. So I open the box, and there's a kind of a brownish-looking checkbook. And he says, well, open it. And so I opened it up, and it says, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. I've only been a pastor a year. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, now, go to the back ledger. And I went to the back ledger, you know, where the, and it had a 5000 There's $5,000 in this checking account. Here's the deal. Number one, you can't tell anybody about this. Number two, I want you to take this, and I notice you have your wallet in your pocket. I want you to take this checkbook and put it in your other pocket every single day. And I want you to get up every single day, and you want to look for needs of people that are hurting. I don't care what they are. And whenever you feel like God would want, in Jesus' name, to help them, you give them whatever money you think you should. And that's, that's my way of loving them because I can't be there. I have money. You have opportunity. And we're going to do this as a team. Well, he's the chairman. I mean, what am I going to say? No. So... Okay, so I put that in my back pocket, and I, first of all, I think, oh, wow, this would be a lot of pressure. What if I mess up? And, you know, he's an accountant. I'm not very good with numbers. And then about halfway home, I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, maybe this could be kind of fun. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Santa Claus instead for a day for like all week or something. So I, I put the checkbook, my wallet, my keys right where I come in, and the next day I got out, and, you know, I kind of forgot, and then I realized, oh, all of a sudden, I started thinking, who does John want to help today? Who does John want to help today? And it was about the third day, and I'm in a grocery store, and I'm in the grocery store, and there's this lady. And if you've ever seen someone checking out, and as they're checking out, they realize they don't have enough money to pay, 
and the checker's there, and there's a line, and they're trying to figure out what things to take. Have you ever seen that happen? It's a sad deal. And I'm behind here, and this lady, and there's three little kids, and the kid's whining, and she's kind of starting to cry, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? And I said, excuse me, ma'am, why are you putting that stuff back? She goes, I don't have enough money. I said, well, what happened? And, you know, she just starts to break down. She goes, Our hus- my husband left us. He took all the money. I've got three kids. I'm going to try and make it home to my mom. i got a station wagon, and we don't have anything to eat. And I had a John Savile moment. <laughs> and I thought, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I said, ma'am, you know something? I think, would you, let's, let's put all this back in your cart. What do you really need? And she goes, you know, I need diapers. And I, I said, so I said, well, and so I'm with this lady. And we start going through, you know, aisle by aisle. And I said, do you need it? Yeah. As we just started putting a bunch of stuff. And then we got to the end. And she looked, why are you doing this? I said, believe me, it's not me. I mean, I said, God cares about you. And there's this man who asked me when I found someone like you that he wanted to love you in Jesus' name. And so we did all that. And. And then if you've ever helped someone and you've seen kind of that look like, thanks, and I'm too embarrassed to ask for anything else, but there's a need. And she packed up the car, and I looked at her, and I said, you don't have gas to get home, do you? She said, no. I said, there's a 7-Eleven right here. Pull it, pull it over. Wrote my second check, you know, filled that car up with gas. And I got to tell you, what a day. And so pretty soon, every day, I'm walking around with this in my pocket, and I can, I can tell you stories about the runaway teens that I bought, um, you know, tickets back home and uh, people whose electricity was cut off in the middle, elderly people. And we wrote and we took care of their electricity. And I mean, it, this was like way better than being Santa Claus. This is like spending someone else's money and just having fun, loving people, and, and then seeing and hearing all these stories. It was awesome. And so then after about three or four months, about once a quarter or at least three times a year, John would call and say, Chip, come on down for lunch. Well, now I know the routine. I get my one jacket on. I drive down. I go up the elevator. You know, hey, okay, we're going to go up to the top. We're going to have, and we have like a two and a half hour lunch. And then I, he says, let, let, me, let me see the checkbook. And I get the checkbook. And he goes, okay, $272. Tell me about this one. And then I would just tell him the story of who it was and how it happened and where I spent it. And, and then and then it was, this was like, I knew this was coming. So I'd get to the end of the story. I mean, this is a, I mean, high-class linen tablecloths, glass everywhere. And John would lean back, praise the Lord, literally that loud. And I'm going, you know, what the heck, the guy owns one of the floors in this building. I guess he can do what he wants. And so I would go through, and it would be like a two-and-a-half, three-hour lunch. I would tell him all the stories, and I'd go back home, put it in my pocket, and and then, you know, the banks send statements. And so, you know, about every second or third quarter, I'd get a bank statement. And it was really weird because no matter what I did, I always had $5,000 in that account. And he would just, just kind of see what I did, and he'd just fill it up, see what I did, fill it up, see what I did, fill it up. And it was an amazing journey, and I, I never thought about it. It was literally years and years later that, that I learned um, some amazing things happened about an intimate relationship with someone that, I mean, I had nothing in common. I put it in your notes here. Three things that happened to me. Number one, rarely a day went by that I didn't think of John. I mean, before, you know, I saw him once a month. He's this old guy downtown, nothing in common. And now because I'm trying to figure out how to spend his money for God, every single day I'm thinking, 
Every, every single opportunity, every need was, is this one? Should I spend it here? And then I'm picturing in my mind, what's John going to say if I spend it here or there? I just tried to figure out, what does he want? And I got perspective, and I got to know John. Because the louder he said, praise the Lord, I'm not stupid. I thought, hey, man, that's where the money ought to go. Second thing that happened is I strangely became far more meticulous about balancing his checkbook than my own. You don't go to an accountant with money that's his and say, you know, I can't figure out where a couple hundred dollars went, but I think we helped a lot of people. And uh, I'm sort of a big picture, non-detailed person by nature, and I have to really discipline myself. Uh, I mean, when I was single, if the bank, I didn't have a lot of money, but if the bank, if it wasn't 20 bucks, I'm figuring the bank's right. Why, you know, this is not good. By the way, this is not how to do this, but it, it was like within 20 bucks, I'm not going to spend three hours going through all those checks. And at old days, you guys don't know what checks are, but believe me, they were these sheets of paper that they used before cards and stuff. And I would just think 20 bucks, what the heck, it'll take me three hours. It's close enough. Well, it wasn't close enough now. Like I'm keeping his money better than mine. And I learned something else. I learned that no matter how much I spent and how generous, quote, I was with his money, the thing just kept getting filled up. Third thing I learned was that John and I became, and, and I mean this, I don't mean acquaintances, we became best friends. As he bought me extravagant lunches and I told him extraordinary stories at our quarterly celebrations. I mean, pretty soon I'm asking John about raising kids and, you know, he's been married like 51 years or something and I'm asking about my, we, we became best friends because generosity in our relationship became the gateway to intimacy because I got to know his heart because I was spending his money and I got to be accountable to him because I was giving away his money and I wanted, I wanted to please him and we were, I mean, there was, there, there was, it wasn't like duty, it wasn't ought, it wasn't like I was being righteous. I mean, how could I claim it wasn't like I was being this holy guy or righteous or it was just an adventure. And I was just taking care of someone else's money and figuring out how to love people with it. And it was um, one of those revolutions. I did that for about five years. And John is now in heaven, probably meeting a lot of people <laughs> that uh, he never met directly, but he's going to meet them now. And they're thanking him for the groceries or the light bills or the bus ticket back to their parents or help getting through an addiction. Now, is there anybody here that at this point you might perceive like some similarity, like a simile, a metaphor of your and my relationship with God? See, God has entrusted to you time and gifts and talent and money. And the earth is mine in the fullness thereof. So it's really all his. And so he gives you X amount of time and X amount of talent and X amount of money. And, and being generous wasn't for like super holy people or super rich people. It was a set of glasses. You know what happened in my life was the reason I had all this joy and it was fun is I had something in my back pocket. I was looking every day. Just the lens that I looked at was, who might need some help? Who might need some help? And it was a blast helping them. But what happened was, I was thinking different because, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to be generous with someone else's money. And every time I gave it, it got filled up anyway. I mean, it got to where I got pretty crazy. 
And what, what if the money in your bank account or in your purse or in your wallet, what if it's really God's? And what if the time that you have isn't yours and people are interrupting you, but it's really God's? And what if the gifts and the talent and the brains and the abilities were really God's and you got up every day instead of, why am I so stressed out? I've got to be here. I've got to do that. Everyone wants a chunk of my time. And you had this outlook that was, I wonder who God wants to love today through me. See, what I want you to know is being generous is a genius way to live. It's smart. It's practical. Even as you notice at the top of your notes, this kind of the bright idea is if you want to be smart, spend carefully. If you want to be wise, save regularly. If you want to be genius, give extravagantly. I uh, did a little research because sometimes you think of words and I think we forget what words mean. The word genius, the root word is it means for something, it's to produce. It's the personification of quality, a great natural ability in a particular activity. It's any person with a high intelligent quotient. So to be a genius is in the old days in the football 49ers, Bill Walsh was the genius in football. He could think and create plays in the West Coast offense, etc. Einstein was a genius in mathematics. It's people that have this amazing ability that is uh, just extraordinary. Smart, wise. The word generosity uh, comes, this is very interesting. I didn't know this. It comes from the meaning of a noble birth, to be excellent or generous, having qualities associated with nobility. In, in the old days, most of the world was ruled by kings, right? If you were a king or a queen, the concept in the worldview was God appointed you to be a king or a queen to rule, and you were of nobility. And as a person with nobility, you had resources and you had this responsibility to help the people in your kingdom. And so that's where we get our word generous. The Hebrew word for generous means saturated with water, to give to overflowing. It's a, it's a picture of if you've ever seen a sponge or a yard that there's, you know, it rains and rains and rains and rains. And then when there's more water, it just runs off because it's overflowing. That's the Hebrew word. The Greek word for generosity means ready to distribute. It has the idea of whatever is in your hands, you're ready to distribute, to give where it's most needed. And so let me give you four reasons, instead of why you ought to be generous, or you should give, or you should be kind, let me give you four reasons why it's smart, why it's genius to be generous. Number one is generosity changes our lives. It changes us. Jesus said this. The very last words recorded in Jesus is not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Anybody know where the last words ever quoted in the New Testament are of Jesus? Someone say Acts. Very good. Yeah, Acts 20, 35. Don't tell me it's like on a screen behind me and you all are messing with me. Is it is? Way to go anyway. Anybody, you know what the verse is? It's more blessed to give than to receive. The word, it's your life will be enriched. The word blessed, happy, rejoicing. It's the people who are givers in life are far happier and better off than those who are miserly. You know, the, the word miser is the root word for our word miserable. I mean, studies, I read an interesting study out in the Wall Street Journal here 
oh, it must have been three or four months ago, about people who give generously of their time and their money and their emotional quotients and their joy factors and their relationships and their lower percentage of divorces. And there's all these amazing things that happen. I don't, they're not Christian. They're just generous. And people that are miserly are miserable. So it, it changes us when, when we're generous. I mean, haven't you ever experienced like... You just give something to someone. I don't mean it's necessarily real big. And you get it kind of an emotional lift. Like you feel better about life because you gave. And then you look at them and they feel better because they received. There's an amazing thing that happens. The second reason is generosity connects us with others. John and I got connected at an amazing level. And by the way, don't miss the point. Generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. One of the reasons God gives you time and gives you money and gives you talent is as you're generous with it, you become a conduit. He actually works in and through you in ways, and you experience him like never before. But but it, it connects us with people. I pastored in Santa Cruz for about 12 years, and my habit, um, just because I'm a morning person, it, it didn't make me holy because most of you were starting your evening when I was going to bed. And it was just because I had a lot of kids, you know, I had four kids and I had a high demand job. And, and so I just found that I had to get my work done real early. So I, sometimes I would hear my kids, you know, when they were young adults or, you know, coming back from college, it'd be like 930 and they go, hey, so, you know, what do you want to do tonight? And I'm thinking, what do you want to do tonight? In 15 minutes, I know what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to bed. You know, and they're thinking about, yeah, the movie starts at 1030. And I'm thinking, how do people do this, you know? But I, would, I just got into the habit of going to bed kind of early. And then I don't have an alarm, but usually the Lord will wake me up 4, 4.30, sometimes 5. No, no, but I mean, I got plenty of sleep. But those quiet hours became really rich. I mean, some, some you got to answer, like, if you write books and write and think, you have to be... You have to be alone. You've got to be with God for a while. But I loved it. And so, but I like coffee. Okay? This is important. And so, <laughs> right, right there on, uh, on Soquel Drive, near a 7-Eleven, there's a little uh, donut shop, bagel shop. And it's run by a group of very precious Cambodians that I became very good friends with. And they would open it because they cooked. they get up real early. And they knew I started coming in early. First it was 5, and then it was 4.30. And pretty soon when I got there, the coffee was ready. You had Steve Smooth and, you know, some good French roast there. And, and I would get there about 4.30, and I would have about three and a half or four hours before the day got gone. And I would study and pray and write sermons. And, and, and as soon as it would open, shortly after, a guy named, I learned later his name was Mike, but he was a homeless guy. And he had the picture, if you've ever been around people that have done, I mean, years, like 20 years of heavy drug use, and their, their face kind of looks like that, you just look like, I don't know how old you are, but you look 20 years older than you really are. And uh, you know, his hair was all messed up, and he either slept in the park or he had a broken down car, sometimes he slept in the back of that. And he also had that kind of, he had this sort of camo outfit. He was scary. And he would just, there was a table here and then a table here. And I would come back to this table here. And I usually got there first. And he would come in, not say anything to anyone, and just sit there. And he would stare like a zombie. He was scary. And, I mean, he sat there. And, I, you know, I tried, hey, how you doing? I mean, nothing, you know, like for a year, year and a half. So I I believe I was kind of working on um, the beginning times of this message. And uh, I just couldn't get through to him. And so I was sitting at the counter like this because the bagels and all that stuff's there. And I said, hey, would you, uh, you want a cup of coffee? 
hey, can you hear anything? You know, hey, I'm going to get coffee and a, a bagel. You want one? And, and this was like the most, this huge emotional response. I took that as a yes. <laughs> and so, you know, I get him a cup of coffee. I, he said, do you want anything in it? Give him a cup of coffee. I got a bagel. Give him a bagel. I didn't get a thank you. I didn't get a nod. I get, so and I just go over, sit back down and thinking, I'm sure generosity has impact, but it's not right now. About 90 seconds. And it was bizarre. Um, the sun was just coming up. And if you, if you, many of you aren't up at this time. But <laughs> it, 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 sometimes it's like the stars are still out, but the redness of the sky comes up. It's, it's, it's breathtaking. And there was this star that was like super bright, like out of a movie. And he's drinking this coffee. He goes, look, do you know what that is? It's the first time I ever heard him talk. So I said, no. He says, that's Venus. I said, really? He said, yeah, it'll only be like this three more days. I said, what? He said, yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking, there's, when you're in a coffee shop from 4.30 to 8.30 in the morning, you know there's a crew that comes in at 6, another group at 6.30, three guys that sit around and drink coffee from 7 to, you know. So I told these three, hey, come here, guys. You know, I think something's happening. So we're all huddled around Mike, and he starts explaining to us why it's Venus, why it's here, how the stars align. He's not some dumb homeless guy. He's a really smart guy. I learn his name is Mike. Uh, I learn what happened through his addiction and how his kids were taken away from him. I learned that he's a master craftsman. He was an amazingly gifted guy. And he would go up into the hills of Santa Cruz Mountains and do amazing stuff. And pretty soon he told me his name was Mike. And pretty soon, every single time, I'd come in and I'd get my coffee and I'd start studying. And then Mike would turn his chair around and we talked every day. Um, I found out that his kids were with his sister in the Phoenix area. Uh, Mike and I, I, I said, Mike, he said, no, I, don't, I like sleeping outside, really. I said, really? Yeah. Mike and I became good friends. I mean, for years. I moved back over the hill, and I remember I'd go through Santa Cruz, and there's not a lot of people hanging out at 5.15 in the morning, so I would swing by, and there might be. He'd get up in his unshaven, unbathed, and get up and give me a hug. It cost me a dollar and a half. cost me a dollar and a half. Generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. It's a smart way to live because it changes you. And it connects you with people. The, the wisest man in the world in Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, when you water others, you'll be watered. It's an axiomatic principle of life. As you give of your time. You want a friend? Be a friend. Give of your time. Give of your energy. Give of your resources. And I will tell you, so, something begins to happen. God has made his kingdom principles to work where it's smart to be generous. The third reason is a very clear biblical one. Generosity helps us invest in what matters most. Everyone, think of this. You might want to jot this down. Everyone worships something or someone. You you, you are made to worship. Everyone worships something or someone. Your money simply tells you what or who that is. Now, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, and it is in your notes, and all I can say is, I envy the amazing eyesight that you all have 
because I looked at your notes. And that's the smallest print I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> so I do want you to know that what I'm talking about is in that first chapter, and there's a warning. This passage is in there. It is bigger print. So it may just blow you away. <laughs> but here's what I want you to get. Jesus is going to talk, and he's going to give a negative command, and then a positive command, and then a timeless principle. And he's going to talk about the kingdom. And he's going to say to a group of people that have been following him and want to follow him. And he's been feeding people and raising them from the dead. And this is sort of his kingdom principles about how life really works. And, you know, you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's saying, this is how the kingdom works. And this is how you live to bring a part of heaven down onto earth so that life God's way actually operates. And he's going to say there's two treasures. He's going to say there's two eyes. And there's two masters. And, and then he's going to talk about generosity in a way so that you get a good return on your investment. I'm going to read this passage as I read it. Follow along if you will. But I want you to listen carefully for this little phrase, for yourself. I, I always, it kind of tickles me. I didn't grow up in church. But it tickles me that anytime anyone starts talking even a little bit about money in church, it's like, oh, we should never talk about money in church. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. But the reason he did is because when he talks about money, it has almost nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with who you worship. It has to do with priorities. It has to do with your heart. And he says it to protect us. And you're going to find out in just a minute. Notice the two treasures. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So in other words, don't store up treasure on earth because you can lose it. But store up, notice, for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. So he says there's two treasures, some on earth, some on heaven. He says the best investment is treasures in heaven because you can't lose it. And then notice the application, axiomatic principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your money goes, wherever my money goes, imagine if you will, like your heart, your seat of your affections, what really matters, what you worship, who you really are. Imagine a little chain, and the little chain is connected to your credit card or your debit card or your money. And wherever it goes, your heart follows. It's just axiomatic. So if you would really want to know where you're at in your relationship with God, Money is like an x-ray or an MRI that shows you not what you feel, what you think, or what you perceive, but where you're really at in your relationship with God. Because it will reveal what you worship, your treasure. And then notice he goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Would you circle the word good and circle the word bad? Because I want to come back to it. Because he has two eyes, right? There's two treasures, treasure in heaven, treasure in earth. There's two eyes, a good eye and a bad eye. And then notice he's going to go on. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's two masters. You either worship God or you worship money. I bet I was a Christian probably 15 years. And I always used to think you either worship God or Satan. That's not what the Bible teaches. Satan is a fallen angel opposed to God's plan who wants to destroy you, 
destroy God's plan, ruin your life, and bring about death. But he's not the other God. The Bible says one God is Jesus, the other God is money. And what Satan and the world system tries to do is to tell you that security and significance and happiness and well-being and self-fulfillment will come through money. And so your priorities and your energy go toward money, but it doesn't deliver. And Jesus said, you know what, I have no problem with money and I can give lots of it to my children, but they need to worship me. But what, what is an eye? What's an eye do? It's how you see, right? It's your perspective. It's how you view life. He says, if your eye is good, it's a very interesting Greek word, it's called, it's haplos, and has two meanings, like the word in English, cool, can have more than two meanings, but cool could mean the temperature in the building is cool, or we could say, wow, that was a really cool set that the band did. Same word, two different meanings because of the context. This word meant, literally, it meant to be singular, but the, the metaphorical usage means to be generous. He says, if your eye is singular, in other words, if it's on God, if it's on his kingdom, on treasure that lasts forever, and if you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. Your perspective is, how do I give? How do I help? How do I love? But if your eye is bad, it's an interesting word, poneros, it's the same word used for evil. It's a word used to describe Satan. And there was a Jewish idiomatic expression called the evil eye in that day. If someone described you as saying, you have the evil eye, it meant you were a person that's full of selfishness and greed. And so if your perspective, and, and some people have this, right? We, we've all met people that, you know, you're, you're with them, and it's like them, 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 and their money is for them, and it's what they can get. And, and he says, so some people have an eye that's generous, and how can I love and care and give? And so people have an eye that's about greed and them and gaining and manipulating. Two treasures, two eyes, two masters. Jesus is one master, money is the other, and what he says is, you can't serve both. Money is the mirror of our soul. Your heart always goes where your money flows. Money is the mirror of my heart. And so for generosity frees our hearts. The antidote to greed, the antidote to materialism, the antidote to money not being a God is being generous. It's just being generous. And by the way, I'm talking about being generous not like in just some big thing where you give to the church or a kingdom cause. I'm talking about being generous moment by moment and as a lens that you, you look at. Uh, there's times where when I get really tired and I can tell my attitude is really rotten and I'm starting thinking about me and how tired I am and I've got to maybe go on another plane and I've got a deadline and, you know, this was late and uh, I missed the connection and I, I don't really care to travel, but I do a lot more of it than I want to. Sometimes I will just willfully say, you know what, for my sake, I need to be generous. Uh, for, for a long time, I had an experience where I was in Korea and I was speaking at a, at a church at a leadership conference and they said there's a group of these CEOs could you speak for this thing and I thought well I'm already here are you kidding sure so I did and I spoke it was just a breakfast and the guy translated it took you know 45 minutes or an hour there were a lot of nice people and the heads of these companies and when I got done this really nice Korean guy handed me an envelope and I thought well what's this for so oh, we just wanted to say thanks and I said well I was just 45 minutes. I was already here. They said, well, we want to give this to you. And so, you know, I, I walked out and, and I pulled it out. And it was 10 crisp $100 bills. And I thought, well, 
I didn't really want their money. And, and I, had this, I got this prompting from God. I thought, I'm going to take those $100 bills, and I'm going to put that in my briefcase. And God, I want you to show me over the next few weeks and next few months who out of the blue you want to bless. So, I, mean, what, I mean, I guess I could have spent it or something, but I just thought, wouldn't this be sort of a cool experiment? And, and I mean, I had a blast for about the next seven or eight months. And, and I remember going into 24-hour fitness, and, and I just asked, but here's what it did. It changed my eye. It changed my eye to an outward focus. And so every day, you know, I've got this, this one, as I was pretty careful with my briefcase. I don't usually carry $1,000, and I don't give away $100 bills. But I just thought, you know, this is God's money, so I'm going to see what happens. And so different times and different ways, and uh, there, were, there was these three uh, custodians that I, that I met at a certain place, and as I would walk by and get coffee, and I saw their life, and they were from different countries, and just one day, God just prompted my heart, and I thought, individually, so they didn't know I did it. I, I asked them, I said, hey, how are you doing, and how's things going in this country and your kids? And I said, God told me to give this to you. And I looked them in the eye, and I just folded it up, and I gave it to them, and they said thanks, and I got about this far, and they opened it up, and they go, <gasps> I said, no, 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 no. God, God told me to give that to you. He, he wanted you to know today he really cares about you. Another day I was going at 24-hour fitness, and I got my oil changed, and I was ready to go over, and I was pulling in, and this guy was walking really oddly, and I felt the Spirit of God say, give him $100. And, you know, you know now I'm arguing, Lord, wait, 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 wait. I, I don't know that guy. He, he could be, like, dangerous or something, you know? And, and so, hey, hey, and so, so he thinks I'm a weirdo, right? Hey. <laughs> I got some money I want to give you. Hey, buddy. <laughs> you know? So, and, and he comes and he speaks like some English and he's from, he's a Syrian. He's from some place and he just got here and he's a refugee. And I found out, you know, he's in broken English that he's got a wife and a kid and things are falling apart. And he comes and he's a Muslim guy. And out of the blue, I said, I have no idea. And, you know, his name was Amir Ahmad Muhammad something, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and I just, I said, I said, all I can tell you is that Jesus cares about you. And for reasons I cannot explain, I was in Korea, and then God told me to save this for a certain day, and this is for you. And I handed him a $100 bill, and he looked up at the sky. I said, thank God. And then he looked at me like he just had met an angel or something. Can I tell you what that did for me? Can, can I tell you what happens to your mind when you're walking through life with a good eye? When you're thinking, I wonder who God wants to love through me today. That's the genius of generosity. So much of the whole teaching and our view of generosity is about oughts and shoulds and, you know, am I supposed to give off the gross or the net? That question misses the point. It's not your money. That's the game changer. It's not your time. It's not my time. It's just like I was spending John Savile. I had a lot of fun spending his money. I'm having a lot more fun these days spending God's money. And you know, you know here's what I'll tell you. Here's his promise. When we give, and this is not a financial passage. It applies to it. But Jesus said give later in verse 48 of the same chapter. Luke. And it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And those words don't mean anything to you. If you, if you were going to buy wheat or something, or if you've ever, <laughs> this is a bad illustration, but uh, <laughs> yesterday I was, we have this big can and I put dog food in it. And there's just a little too much food, dog food for the can. 
And if you want it all to go, you know what you do? If you shake the can, guess what happens? The dog food settles, and you can pour more in. Then you shake it a little bit more, right? You, you can take this one home like, boy, the dog food illustration. That's where God spoke to my heart. You know, but, but what he's saying is give, and it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken. He's saying the God of the universe with unlimited resources is generous. And in the same way that you measure, if you, if you give to people with a teaspoon, he says with the same measure, he'll give back to you. If you give with a bucket, he'll give back to you. You give with the barrel, he'll give back to you. I have one... Uh, man who took this quite literally in terms of being freed and just the, the adventure and the genius and the smartness of being generous. And I got to know him, and he came from a, a pretty strong Bible-type background. But somewhere along the lines, it was like, it is very important to tithe. Of course that is, and this Bible speaks to that. But he said, you know, my whole life I learned, I was like writing a check, but it was like, you know, the electric bill, the gas bill, the church bill. He said there was no joy, and, you know, I was being obedient, but I didn't know anything about generosity. By the way, you can give and not be generous at all. You can give and not be generous at all. But I will say this, you can never be generous without giving. <laughs> and so he heard what the Bible really taught about generosity and proportional giving and as you're blessed and so he went to this conference with his wife and they just got married so he did this deal with her he said honey um i'd like to try an experiment i'd like to try out this sort of generosity journey let's give 11 percent of our income this year and she said well okay you know and they were a brand new married couple and you know for him it was like the first time it was well let's let's trust god i mean he said it was a pretty, it was a baby step, like 1%. Woo, you know. He said, but we got to the end of the year, and all our bills were paid, and things were fine. And so I, I said to my wife, I said, let's do one more percent. And so the next year, they gave 12%. Well, I got to know Paul when uh, Paul had been married uh, 52 years. And every year, he added one more percent to his giving. And um, when God finds people, see, we're all, please don't confuse any of this with all that malarkey you hear on television and the radio and give and God will give you this and all this manipulation and prosperity stuff. This is, this is a man with a pure heart who says, Lord, if you would give me more, I want to give more. So now he's given like, I don't know, 67, 68, 69% of his income. But he said, the weird thing is every year his income was greater than the year before. And he was a kind of a hometown architect and his priorities got out of whack and he was meeting at nights and not spending time with his kids and so he made another lordship issue about his time. He said, Lord, I'm going to work during the day but I'm not going to have all, I'll do one night out. And if you're a private architect, I mean, people want to meet with you and, and so someone asked him if he would help out with a little commercial property and that opened the door to commercial architecture which opened the door to shopping centers, which opened the door to owning shopping centers, which opened the door to work. The guys now, when I met him, he's probably given 80-some percent every year of all of his income, millions and millions of dollars, and God just keeps pouring it in. Because, see, when God finds people that are a stream and you're a conduit, well, he just keeps filling the stream. But most people are dams. Most people live with a scarcity and because of our lack of faith, it's like, well, I don't want to give if I give this. And, and by the way, you know, it's just, it's not just money. Some of us, are our time, we act like, 
You know, every person, every call is an interruption. But it's, it's, it's this different kind of eye. It's the, it's the good eye, the generous eye. And uh, I just want you to know, it's the smartest, most genius way to live. Now, let me wrap it up by asking and answering this final question. If generosity is so smart, I mean, if what I said is true, because I'm religious, not what I said, it's what Jesus taught. Why isn't everyone doing this? I mean, right? I mean, it's like genius, smart. What, are you ready for this? Hypothetically, what if what Jesus just said about money is true? Now, when you, you know, I heard you sing about salvation and forgiveness and heaven. How, how many think that's true? Yeah, yeah, I mean, right? I mean, like, we're, we're banking our life that is true. So if the things he talked about, heaven and salvation and all eternity, is it possible that he was actually accurate when it comes to generosity and money? And, it, and if it's the smartest way to live, see, people that aren't generous, instead of, instead of making it people that aren't generous or just miserly and they're not as spiritual and they don't make the same sacrifices. No, 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 no. Here's what the Bible really teaches. Really smart people are generous. Really not smart, stupid people are miserly. It's just, I mean, it's just not smart. But, but in fact, then, why then isn't everyone generous? I'll give you four quick reasons. One, because wealth is powerful and deceptive. Remember the story about the seed and the sower and the third seed fell into the ground and it grows up and then the thorns grow up? Do you remember what the thorns are that choke out the truth of God's word in your heart? The worries of this world, the desires for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness. When you're deceived, it means you don't know that you're being deceived. The definition of deception is is that you think you're doing okay, but you're really not. It's called denial. When I taught this uh, at our church a year ago, I decided, I, I did a very informal summary, a uh, little survey. And so I probably would have embarrassed my family if they saw me or people in our church, so I hope they didn't see me. I went to a shopping center, and I had a little clipboard, and I acted like, you know, I was real official. And I said, look, I don't want any money, and believe me, I'm not really weird. It's a one-question survey, just yes or no. Would you consider yourself a generous person, yes or no? Yes. Would you consider yourself a generous person? So I found young people, old people, Asian people, white people, black people, Hispanic people, old. And I just kept asking, would you consider yourself a generous person, yes or no? And I marked it. Guess what? Over 90% of all the people in my anecdotal survey all said they were generous. I'm guessing most of us in this room think we're generous. If you think you're generous right now, then you really don't need to grow in your generosity. And you don't need to believe anything Jesus said. And the reason Jesus talks so much about money is because money is like real tangible and it's real concrete. And you can, if I want to know, or if you would want to know where your heart is, all you have to do is look at your credit card statements. Look at, you know, the year's going to end. Look at your tax statement. How much money did you give? How much money did you spend? Where did you spend it? If you have lots of money going to lots and lots of clothes, I will tell you, you worship clothes. If you have lots of money going to lots of sports equipment, you worship sports. If you have lots of money going out to eat all the time or taking many vacations all the time, you worship pleasure. 
Now, is there anything wrong with having clothes or pleasure? No. But what Jesus says is, put me first, give me the very first portion to break the greed, and then have this eye, how do I help others? And then as priorities are in line, do whatever God shows you to do and enjoy it. And when you do, you'll be smart. But what you need to understand is that it's deceptive. Most of us think we're generous. I mean, my wife and I have been on a journey of asking God to kind of do what I saw that guy do. So we've been on a journey to say, every year, how can we give more? How can we trust you? Uh, We've just had multiple times where God led us to give when we didn't know if we gave how he would take care of us. But that's why I have God stories. I mean, the people who experience God are people, you know what, it takes a step of faith. Now, I'm not talking about being presumptuous and and silly or stupid or testing God, but I'm saying, what if you were looking around to say, God? In fact, the second reason that people aren't generous is because of the lure of mammon or money worship. You have been taught and you are brainwashed that if you have money, then you're successful. If you have money, you'll be significant and money can make you secure. Well, you talked to people in 2008 that lost half of everything. Talk about people between 2000 and 2001 that they went public and then they went dumpling. Everything can be gone in a minute. Money doesn't have the power. It's a false god. But you are driven and I am driven where we go, what we do, how much education, where we work, our workaholism, our pro- all money becomes a god that drives our lives. How is it that we can be followers of Jesus and we don't have time for the God who saved us? We don't have time for relationships with one another. We don't have time to build and even know who our neighbors are in the apartment or where you live. You, you know what's driving that? You know what's driving that? You've got to make so much. You've got to live so here. You've got to drive this kind of car. You've got to... It's deceptive, isn't it? And we all battle it. The, the, the issue where we live in the Silicon Valley, it is not... Are we, and we, like I'm, me, I'm right here with you. It's not are we materialistic. The only question is just how much, right? I mean, you're in the top, probably half of the top 1% of wealth of all the people in the world. I mean, if you, if you like have clothes and have a place to live, you're in the top 5% of, of the richest people in the whole world. We shouldn't feel guilty. We should feel like, wow. I guess we're kind of like John Savile's giving us a lot to do a lot, to help a lot, and to enjoy it. The third reason is because it demands faith. Demands faith. At the end of the day, the reason we're afraid to be generous is we don't think God will come through for us. C.S. Lewis has a great line that I've always appreciated it uh, in one of his books where he talks about the dot and the line, and he gives a picture of like, if you can imagine, a chord yeah, a thin cord that just goes out right through that wall and a cord, maybe it's a glowing orange cord and it goes right out that wall and it goes to all eternity that direction and all eternity that direction and that's eternity. And then he says, imagine if you will just making a dot with a pencil on the orange line and that represents all of time. All of time, all the centuries since times began. And he said, then you need to get a, a microscope I mean, an electron, powerful microscope to look inside that little pencil dot because inside there, there's a tiny, eensy-weensy little speck, and that's the century that you're living in. And inside that century, there's a tiny, tiny, little, little, teeny, eensy-weensy speck inside that speck, which is your little 60, 70, maybe 80 years. And what you do in your speck inside the dot 
impacts all of eternity. And some people actually believe eternity is real and heaven is real and promises are real and treasure in heaven is real. And so they use their time in the dot to live for the line. But the great majority of people, even Christians, live inside the dot inside the speck and live for just in time. See, if, you, if we believe there's eternity in what Jesus has said, we would be the most generous people in the world. It'd be like, uh, imagine if you will, if you knew that the Civil War was ending and you were on the Confederate side and you had $5 million of Confederate money and you knew in three weeks the war was ending, how much is that money going to be worth? Nothing. See, for all of us, all the stuff, the moment we enter it, I don't take anything, you don't take anything. So what, it's this generosity is this new set of glasses. And, and it's an adventure. And you begin to see what God can do and wants to do through you. Fourth reason is because of temporal, what I call myopia. And that's just an eye disease where we just so look at the right now, we can't see the big picture And the breakthrough concept simply is generosity is the gateway to intimacy with God. John and I became best friends because I realized it was his money I got to spend. And I got to know his heart. And and by the way, I I mean, John was great to me. I didn't just have extravagant lunches. I remember one time, you know, I'm talking about issues and problems and struggles. And, you know, I'm in this little town, this tiny church, and... You know, I've got three kids, and we had a fourth kid, and I mean, I'm not making any money. I got one car without air conditioning, and you know, I, I can't even remember what the need was, and John asked me how it was gone, and I told him, and he just, he said, give me that checkbook. <laughs> he took the pastor's discretionary fund, he made out a check to Chip Ingram and wrote a number with a couple zeros or so. See, God... God wants you to have a blast in your generosity journey. He wants it to be fun and exciting, and he knows your heart's desire, and he has no problem blessing you richly. He just wants you to hold it loosely. Three questions people ask, just so you get the fill-ins. The rest of this is in the book. But uh, brilliant people ask, am I using the money entrusted to me in accordance with the owner's wishes, which is God? Am I carefully keeping account of where the owner's funds are going, which means they kind of have at least a loose budget. And fourth, or third, am I becoming best friends with the owner by the privilege and opportunity of managing his resources? So I, I pray that the, the rest of the book, it's kind of a fun book where you put on new glasses and go on an adventure and live in the smartest way possible. Father, thank you that you are the most generous being in all the universe that you lavish upon us your love and your goodness, that you delight in us, and when you just long for us as your children to trust you. Um, Lord, I pray that um, depending on where we're at, whether it's uh, five bucks or maybe 10 or 20 or maybe some that are doing a little bit better, they put a 50 or $100 bill. But Lord, would you help us just learn this this week by just putting some money in our pocket And just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just saying, Lord, will you show me who you want to bless? Who do you want to bless with this money entrusted to me this week? And then give us eyes 
and prompt us. And then let us come back next week and share stories of just the genius of generosity. In Christ's name.